Welcome to Scripps Talks. Today we have Morgan Beer joining us, who is uh, just recently back from an overseas reporting trip, and we wanted to take an opportunity to hear his story. Morgan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bob. It's good to talk to you. Give me a little um, a picture of where, where your action wasn't all that different from what it is now. Now, I have to believe that you might be the only Ohio University student who, who would say, well, a month ago it wasn't that different. You know, I was in Tunisia. Tell us, what were you doing in Tunisia that put you in an Airbnb there? I got a scholarship from Scripps last year to do an internship abroad. Got in touch with a guy in Tunisia through another Scripps student who has a, a small news site there, uh, just like a small independent news site that he runs from, um, from Tunisia. He's an American guy, but he's been there since the Arab Spring movement kicked off in 2011. So I was there essentially just helping him out with articles and writing about a lot of civil society groups and some government stuff. I was just there for a three-month internship. It was about two months into it when, when coronavirus really started to become, you know, this, this huge issue everywhere in the world and not just in, you know, China or in, in Asia, it seemed at least to me. That was, I guess, when I started to, to feel like it was probably time to get home. What was it like to be in the uh, the African continent uh, when you see a pandemic coming up over the horizon? I mean, what were some of the thoughts that went through your mind as far as, you know, when was it time to to start thinking about getting home? So one thing I was keeping an eye on was like how many confirmed cases there were in, in Tunisia and in surrounding countries. I don't know. Uh, geographically, Tunisia is pretty close to Italy. So that was one thing I was keeping an eye on. You know, if there were going to be people coming from Italy that were going to start getting people sick in Tunisia. Tunisia's got, they they have a pretty good medical system. It's not up to the standard probably of the United States or uh, most European countries, but it's a pretty sophisticated medical system. So I wasn't really worried about that, at least in the immediate future, because they didn't have that many cases. Like I said, there was only a little over a dozen maybe when I decided I was was probably going to leave. What I was worried about was that the medical system might be quickly overwhelmed if the virus really started to take hold. I can imagine your your family was quite concerned. Yeah, I talked to them a lot when I was trying to make the decision whether to leave early. And it really started to happen fast. It was right around, let's say like right when the NBA suspended its regular season and all these other sports leagues started to, to suspend their seasons. That's when I, I guess I realized it was going to be a big thing. So that was about when I started to look for tickets home. And I ended up scheduling, I think that was on like the 12th, the Thursday. And so by, yeah, by Friday or Saturday, I was, um, I had booked a flight home uh, for the following Monday, the 16th. And so I was supposed to fly out, yeah, uh, late night on, on Monday the 16th. And then the day before that flight happened, I actually got an email saying it was canceled. That started to make me a little bit nervous. So what happened next for you? I called back. You know, I was—I I had to spend like three hours on hold every time I called the airline. I called United back, tried to work out a new flight. And I spent probably an hour on the phone with them trying to figure out when the earliest flight out, would, you know, that I could get on would be. And um, they ended up getting me a flight on Thursday of that week. So like another three or four days later. I started to wait again, and then it was like the day before that, that I got another email saying that that flight was canceled. And each time it was just the flight from Tunisia to the European hub that was getting canceled. The rest of the flights from, from wherever it was, Frankfurt or Brussels, to back to the United States was always 
you know, it was it was active. It was just it was that first top out Tunisia that was becoming a problem. It was right around the time that my second flight got canceled that the Tunisian government made a statement, basically saying that in another two days they were going to shut down all flights out of Tunisia into or out of Tunisia, actually, as well as the land borders and the sea borders. Uh, there would be no more flights in or out, other than um, they, they sort of vaguely said that a, a few repatriation flights would be allowed. That's when I pretty much realized that it was not going to be possible to get a commercial flight out. I mean, I, I was still looking. I was still calling my airline back every couple of days, you know, waiting on hold and seeing what they, you know, if they had any new information. But mostly I was talking to the embassy to see if, if they were going to organize a repatriation flight. Is that how you got out finally? That is actually how I got out finally. It took them a while, actually, compared to most other countries, it seemed. From what I saw, France, England, Germany, Canada, they were all running repatriation flights pretty much immediately after Tunisia shut down their borders. But for the United States, it took about 10 days for them to get these charter flights organized. So you were living in a, in a kind of a uh, time warp of, of sorts, waiting you know, waiting for other people to figure out how to repatriate U.S. citizens back to the U.S. What, what kind of insights does that give you um, as a journalist thinking about how this pandemic is being managed by the, in this case, by the U.S. government? It definitely gave me sort of a, well, I mean, not exactly an inside look because I didn't know exactly what was going on. The, all, the, the, uh, all the embassy could tell me was that it was a State Department decision. Um, and that they were basically just waiting for um, the word from from D.C. about what to do. So I don't know exactly, you know, who makes these decisions. I imagine they, they start from the top and, and get delegated down to some sort of task force. But the process definitely comes from, you know, D.C. and, and starts there. The embassy really didn't have much information for me right up until the day that they sent out emails saying that they had organized flights. I was calling every day. I would give them a call and see if there were any updates. They couldn't tell me anything. They actually started to get a little frustrated with me, I think, because I was calling so often. They, they just didn't have much information. For our podcast listeners, uh, you may be hearing a uh, large lawnmower going on in the background. Uh, that is the nature of our work these days. We're working from living room studios. Walk us through what was it like when you, when you got on that flight? Where did you fly to, and, and how long did it take to get back to U.S. soil? So the flight home was um, was a pretty interesting experience. They had us show up to the Tunis airport, the, you know, the main airport in the country. And usually it would be really crowded, and actually in the, in the days previous to that, it was very crowded with people trying to get home or get out sort of last minute. On the day that I was there, they weren't letting anybody in unless they were on um, like a special list of people getting repatriated it was it was pretty much completely shut down there were like military style checkpoints along the highway um and and on the way into the airport where you kind of had to show them or, or at least talk to them and tell them what was going on why you were going out why you were going to the airport because at that point the country was on a pretty much full lockdown i got to the airport checked in with like an embassy embassy worker who had a little booth there um they were checking names had to fill out a form uh, basically promising to uh, pay back the government for the cost of the flight. We had to fill out a form and then basically we waited. It was it was just Americans there. It was just one 
one flight's worth of Americans, probably about a little over a hundred of us. They got us all checked in. We waited at the gate. You know, we loaded onto a plane pretty much how you normally would. Pretty big, like 767, probably 250 seats or something. So it was only about half full. I think it was out of Ireland they, they chartered this flight. So that's where we ended up flying through. It was through Southern Ireland. From there, we went to D.C. We didn't even get off the plane, actually. We just stopped for an hour or so to refuel and uh, change the cabin crew. What was the mood like on that flight? Was it uh, Were people socially distancing themselves on that flight? People were definitely keeping their distance a little bit. Some people were wearing masks. Some people were wearing gloves. It was kind of interesting. It was a pretty friendly atmosphere, probably just because we were all, you know, all Americans, all having been in Tunisia, you know, for different reasons. Typically kept a few feet between us when we talk, but yeah, everyone was very friendly. Not every student wants to do an internship in Tunisia. I know that you find that hard, probably hard to believe, but you... No, I get it. <laughs> You wanted to go to Tunisia, so let's let's just go back and talk a little bit about your interest in being overseas, and then how does this whole experience shape your thinking about you know being overseas? I've been interested in traveling overseas since high school. I was a, a foreign exchange student my senior year. Um, I spent eleven months living in Belgium. Since then, I mean, I've just I, I've had an itch for it, I guess. I went abroad for three months in college um, as a part of a French degree I was doing. Yeah, I, I went for this internship because it was. It seemed like it was a, a perfect mix of sort of my two my two majors, which would be journalism and French. So it was a you know a foreign correspondence internship. It was called the Wilhelm. It paid for a three month internship somewhere overseas. I worked in in Belgium and France um, at first. I mean, not knowing anything about Tunisia really. Uh, it wasn't the first place that I thought of, but I got put in touch with a student that was uh, it was a master's student at Scripps that had worked with uh, the same guy who started this website called Meshkau in the last couple of years, and uh, and so I got to talking to him. It sounded like an interesting experience, something a little bit different, not exactly what I had done before in terms of traveling overseas, something just a little bit outside my comfort zone. So I liked that. I. I thought it was an interesting challenge. One of the reasons uh, Tunisia seemed like an interesting place for you to go, from my standpoint, was that it would it would be an opportunity to use your language skills, your your second major, uh, French. Yeah. Tell me how important was your ability to speak in French uh, to the success of your internship? A fairly important part of it, I would say. So their primary language is Arabic. That's what people grow up speaking usually. In schools, they mostly taught French as the second, you know, as the second language. And so the majority of people speak a good amount of French, at least, you know, passable French. But I would say most people speak it fairly fluently. Whereas English is becoming a larger part of their education and their culture, but as yet it is not to the level of French. It's, it's mostly young people that will be able to speak some English. Without being able to speak Arabic, French was definitely very useful to the experience. I had to do some interviews in French. I went to some conferences that were, you know, sometimes would be in Arabic, but would be translated. They would do live translations into French, sometimes in English as well. It definitely opened up the spectrum of what I was able to attend and the information I was able to get by being able to speak French. What would be some of the takeaways from this, uh, from the experience, both 
from before the outbreak of the virus and then coping and you know having to adapt and figure out how to get home. I really enjoyed it right up until they started locking everything down. It was a really great experience. The country is really beautiful. There's a lot there. I mean, it's more liberal than people tend to think. It sort of has a reputation, I think, in the Arab world as being one of the most liberal Arab countries. And they almost don't consider themselves to be an Arab country. They're sort of midway between European and North African and Arab, and it's, it's sort of an interesting mix. It's a really great place to visit. There's tons of history there. I was actually staying in Carthage, where the uh, the ancient city was. So there were ruins everywhere. I loved it. Uh, right up until the lockdown happened, I was really enjoying it. I was actually very sad to have to leave early. You know, eventually it became clear that I was going to have to get out now, or, or basically wait it out there. And I uh, I didn't know how long it would end up taking to get things restarted. Yeah, I decided to get out. Even after having to to leave, I don't blame that on Tunisia at all. It's a global problem, and uh, it, it certainly wouldn't keep me from going back to Tunisia. This pandemic has reminded us all just how small the world is, that you know, a pandemic is by definition something that's going to touch every, every body, every community, every country, whether, you know, regardless of continent. Yeah, it is. It's, it's definitely, it, it sort of brings everyone together in a very mutual experience such as I haven't really ever seen before. You know, it wasn't exactly a a harrowing experience, as some people try to say to me or or ask me about it that way. I mean, it was more boring than anything else. I I spent a lot of time inside, just like everyone else has been doing, just trying to keep a good stock of uh, food in the house. That's about it. Well, Morgan, we're glad you're back on uh, U.S. soil and uh, that you had a, a very good experience certainly a very different experience this will be one that you'll be telling people about for a long long time i suspect yeah i I think so too